Welcome, welcome, welcome to Fire Five. And I would like to welcome you to a very exciting webcast. Kim, how are you today? Thank you for stopping by. We're so pumped to have you. I am so pumped to be here. I really am. I'm great. This is wonderful. I'm excited. We're gonna have a great talk. I'm just I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for I'm having me. I appreciate it. it. Too. No, it's such an honor <laughs> to have you. I know. So I'm gonna start by telling a little bit about our history and then I want you to fill in all of the gaps. So Kim hosted a very great course, to be honest with you. And if any of you are out there who are my patients, I've cited this lecture quite a few times. It was with a guy named Tim Gabbett. Tim Gabbett opened up the entire course by saying, I don't know how to boil an egg, but when it comes to load management, I know just about as much as anyone in the world. And I have used that line so many times because it's so great. You don't have to be an expert in everything. Who cares? I'm, I'm terrible at lots of stuff. And Kim and I were just talking about this all this time making mistakes. But there are some things that individuals tend to focus on and become very very proficient in. And those are the people that you want to look at. I don't need to read all of the tendon research that's out there. If I follow Joe Cook, I know kind of where to land. Same thing. I don't need to read every single paper that's written on load management. I take a course by Tim Gabbett, meet some cool people, all good. So that's how we met. And the thing that we really connected on and something we connected on earlier today was that they don't teach us business in physical therapy school like not even close. And the bottom line is we all kind of end up learning from our mistakes. But if you make a mistake and your friend makes a mistake and I make a mistake and then we all come together, that's two less mistakes that I need to make. And that would be great. And especially during this time, and we're going to talk about this, you know, people are going to watch this webcast down the road and hopefully COVID will be way in the rear view today. We're in the middle still of a pandemic. I Listen, I, I haven't lost a, a member of my immediate family or anything like that. It is way more troubling for a lot of people, but we're both small business owners. And listen, somewhere between like, you go to order your sandwich and they don't have the cheese that you want and losing a loved one, we're somewhere in the middle. And I think that it needs to be talked about, kind of honored, and you have a very, very interesting story. So that's how we connected. We kept in touch. I honestly, I follow you on Instagram and enjoy everything that kind of comes out. <laughs> you were going to the bubble, especially after you had, had a newborn baby. Congrats. Thank I wanted you. to hear your story. So I knew when you came out, you'd be coming on. So fill in all the gaps. Tell us everything else. Take us through your story. Okay. So, you know, the, the, the biggest impact when you do, when you want to make such an impact on um, the industry of physical therapy and you want to help people and you just feel like the best way to do that is owning a business and being able to spread your knowledge for people that are working with you and trying to educate as many as you can and creating this like great platform for people to get the best care possible because you know that that's what you want to do and provide the best care. It was always something since I was 15 or 16 years old that I just wanted to create an environment for people to really feel safe and secure enough to be vulnerable and, you know, deal with their injuries in their own way and be able to have their own journey and us be able to support that journey in whatever way we needed to do it at Flex. And 
that really was always in my mind for for a long, long time. And um, and that's why I became like an athletic trainer and I wanted to live in the wake of an injury, like on the field and get to know that. And then I really became a strength and conditioning coach so I could learn how to prevent injuries down the road and see how I could program and work on load management like Tim Gabbett and, and just try to really create the best plan for people going forward. Um, to help with any of those predisposition for injuries. And then obviously becoming a physical therapist, that was like the culmination of all that to be able to meet them at the end of the road when maybe some injury did happen and how I could rehab them back to a successful recovery and be able to like fulfill that, um, fulfill that circle for them and really, you know, make them stronger and feel even better than before. Uh, and that's sort of what I built. And then what was really cool is, being asked to go to the NBA bubble for the NBA restart where I could combine all of those things, you know, all of those skills at one time under a very unusual circumstance. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like the right move for me. I know that it was, you know, some people, you know, we having a six month old at home and mm -hmm. maybe, you know, that was not something that you know, some people would do, but it felt like I knew she had the right support. There was a village of people helping her and taking care of her. And I just felt like I spent my whole life preparing for that and being able to be in the wake of something really, really extraordinary and being able to help um, athletes under very unusual and very risky circumstances. So it was kind of like a cool way to just, you know, do everything that I've always dreamed of. Yeah. And that, that I don't always get to say, you know, I have, but I have so much respect for you. Seriously. Like you've done so many things because I always, I think if I had all the time in the world, I would probably want to be a PTAT, but it didn't happen. Do you know what I'm saying? That's <laughs> fine. And, and, and I don't think that necessarily everyone understands that, that each one of those steps that you achieved is a totally good enough step right then and there. If you went to AT and you were doing what you were doing and you were an athletic trainer, I have a ton of respect for ATs. I have a ton of people who have their CS, ton of respect for people who have their CSCS. I have a ton of respect for physical therapists. And I really have to stack those on top of each other and tell you how much I respect who you are and what you've done. And just like, congratulations. I, I'm hoping you hear that enough and like your patients I'm sure feed you, but like realize that, that that's not the most common thing. And I know you're very humble, so you don't have to like say anything else, but I will acknowledge the great accomplishments that you've had. So with that being said, how are you selected for the NBA bubble? Tell us about that. Well, that was a weird journey in itself because, you know, the NBA restart was like this huge conversation for months and months and months. And, you know, we were really deep into it and it was, we were going, we weren't going, we were going, we weren't going. And the entire time where the NBA was going and not going and, you know, like were all the teams that were supposed to go, go, like there was so much conversation and, you know, a lot of the players, the players association, a lot of the players didn't feel comfortable going and they thought that, during this, it, rightfully so, they thought under this, this social uh, like re reform period and where we were trying to really speak to people's lives, was it enough, was it important enough to go start fighting for championships? And obviously what they really, you know, what they came to understand and realize is that now we have this huge platform that they could 
you know, spread their message. So it was a lot of back and forth. And during that time, like the biggest thing for a physical therapist during that time and the GM of the team that I worked for and the sports medicine staff that I worked for, our biggest, our biggest thing was this was a very risky time for mm-hmm. athletes to jump into going right back into battle, right? They just had this crazy time off that they'd never had in their career. Um, and it was it was a shutdown. And then we were gonna run right into training camp and then have two weeks of season and then have playoffs right after that. And it was an every other day schedule and it was really intense. And that intensity cause, could cause a big risk for injury. So that was a really risky time. So. When I was speaking to the GMs and the agents and every and just the people on the sports medicine staff, they really thought that I could bring a skill set into their world that could really help support that type of vulnerability for the athletes and trying to create like the best way to um, you know support them and to help. So it was it was kind of like a lot of pieces in the beginning because you know it. it it took a lot for all of us to get there, but when we finally got there, the most important thing was our athletes' health and how that was going to get supported. So they, um, you know, they asked me to join, and um, I just, again, like I said, I felt like I was preparing for this my whole life, and I just couldn't say no. I had to, I had to go help where, where I felt really, really needed. So it was, it was good. It was good. That's all. Awesome. Yeah, it was cool. That doesn't, that doesn't surprise me who you say, but is it is nice to hear. I don't, I don't think that perhaps everyone would think immediately about the fact that this is one season. If, if someone ends up going and having a career ending injury and, and there really was, and, and, and I guess were there a lot of big injuries in this so far, you know, like, you know, um, there, no, no, there really yeah. wasn't. And I think that was, because of, I think that was because of a lot of things. I think that, I think one of it is because we prepared so much to make sure that that wasn't really going to be a risk for them. We wanted to, you know, we were treating every single day. We were treating before practice, after practice, at night, like just making sure like things kept on going in the same rhythm that they were going in. And I think also for players, even though it was an intense schedule, the fact that players didn't actually have to travel like really far in all these different locations. I mean, that's a big deal. So that they had, they were able to at least when that day did happen, that was recovery. It actually could be a full day of recovery that we could get some treatment. It wasn't a travel day. So I think that that was really successful. But it, there were certainly there were certainly injuries that, you know, maybe prevented them from coming back for the season. Not you know on other teams, but for for most of it, it seemed like really people were able to. Um, managed very, very well. I mean, it was it, it was incredible how how well it all went, you know. But it, it's true. The risk was high. The risk was high, like, that this could have been a really, you know, it could have turned into a different place, but it just didn't. I think everybody really buckled down and knew that this was super important and we needed the guys for next year. Yeah, and I think that that's what's really interesting is it was a vulnerable situation for sure, mm. but it yeah. ended up actually working quite well, I would say, from, from an outside standpoint. And now I think I, I, I think it's going to be interesting what's taken from this for the NBA, but then for other sports and realizing that 
perhaps. And like you were saying, it's like, were, were, was there just more therapy, like more treatments occurring than there would be in a regular MBA season? And is that uh, something you might see shifting? Um, you know, I don't, I can't really speak to that during regular season because I've been a consultant for the NBA for five years. And I have not actually been on a team all the way through a season. So, but I, what I can tell you is that the sports medicine staff was so dedicated to making sure that these guys like just, they were, they kept, they made themselves available whenever these guys needed them. And I think, yeah, I think that they got more treatment, honestly, because there was not a lot to do too. Like <laughs> it wasn't like we they were going out, you Less know. Matter, yeah. You know what I mean? Like we were basically yeah, the I entertainment. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like you know, I think that I think all things considered, it because they created this bubble. I also think they created a a, a successful arrangement for you know people to like get their treatment. I mean, the guys would you know go to dinner or play some pool volleyball or whatever you know, just things mm -hmm. for on their downtime, but honestly the biggest thing was just being able to like get your treatments in and not you know and and get some sleep and do the other things that require that you need for recovery so i think it was kind of like a great environment for success in that way so that's cool um, i'll be curious yeah. to see how that ends up carrying on so i know what else did you learn while you were in the bubble you know you always believe that like professional athletes are dedicated and determined. And I mean, you see the guys working out and you see them having their trainer and just, you see all that, but like, you never know determination and dedication as much as when you see these guys playing an arena full of nobody. Like yeah. there was no fans, there was nothing to like, so like that, it was so powerful because they played their hearts out yeah. And there was not one person that, you know, like the thing, it wasn't like they were used to, and they still like completely gave it a hundred percent. Like they kept on saying in the beginning, it felt like a pickup game, but like, it was like an old school pickup game where they like just went in and they like just play their hearts out because they just wanted to beat their competitors. So that, that competitive edge was super, super intense and really cool to see. And then I think, you know, so like that kind of really resonated with me and sort of at the same level, like the sports medicine staff that we worked with, that dedication like was super on point. Like they were so, so we were so like driven to make sure that these guys stayed okay. And I think that also was really powerful because like we were on the road for 48 days straight. Like mm -hmm. it was always like, like it wasn't like we ever had a home game so you could like kind of settle like it was always yeah. like rushing around and this and you had to create this like re harmony between all of us all the time and it was a, it was really intense and i think everyone did so well because they were so dedicated to like making sure that these guys stayed healthy and i think that that was also very powerful and what i also learned a little bit personally about myself was you know this was the first time in about 18 years that I wasn't like the boss or I didn't like, I didn't have my office and I really was able to like step back and like be a clinician and like yeah. work my craft and like, you know, I'm always that way when I'm in the moment, but you know, yeah. there's, you have to, you know, this, especially yeah. like you have to wear a different hat and then you put the hat back on and it's a constant, like, 
this time I just got to like keep my hat on, learn from some of the greatest, greatest therapists out there, get to like, you know, I learned a lot about um, team and leadership that I could bring back to my clinic in New York. I felt very strongly about how, um, how like the dynamics of a team should, you know, like I just saw it from the inside and I haven't had that ability to see it from the inside for so many years that it was really nice to kind of take a step back or, you know, and just see it from a different point of view, which I, I, I learned a lot. I learned, I learned so much. It was really, it was really nice, you know? And, um, you know, and then there was this, also this like point when you're in the bubble, like you were kinetically sort of connected, like eight, 814 of us, right? Like 37 from every team, like, and 17 of those guys were the players and the rest were like staff from like GMs to coaches to sports med so, and to media. You know, we like all had to be really tightly connected to be able to like make this process work. And we were all, everyone on campus was like on a mission, right? We're like, the mission was, yes, fight for a championship, but the mission was also social justice. The mission was also beat COVID. Like, we're not getting we're not getting a positive test. Like, there was, like, so many other things that we were, like, driven for. And that was, a again, like, a really powerful experience that, you know, when they say we're all in this together, we really felt like, I mean, we're all under one roof in it together. Like, so we felt it was, it was a really cool experience. Yeah, as far as the, the social justice, and you don't have to go into it, you can go into it as much or as little as you want. But I think everyone would want to, to hear just a little bit about what it was like to be there during that time, because the NBA has led in a, a, in a lot of different ways. Um, there are major sports across this country, and the NBA has been at the forefront of social reform. And what was it like to be in there because I'm sure that that didn't happen in just in hotel rooms, just where no one was there. Like you're there, everyone's yeah. there. Was there anything else that you picked up or that you learned in, in that regard? Um, there was a lot of, you know, what I picked up in that regard is that people are almost like let their guard down a little bit to be a little bit more vulnerable and emotional about what they were feeling and how they felt. And obviously um, it was a very powerful feeling. So people felt like they could express themselves more and maybe educate others on mm -hmm. what they were feeling or how they were, you know, and so there were conversations that we've never ever had were happening. Like, yeah talking about like a movie that really brought out a lot of, um, you know, social injustice and talking, you know, there was just, there were certain things that like the guys would be like, Hey, you should catch this movie on Netflix tonight. Or you get, you know, just a lot of conversations that would never have been even discussed that were really discussed. And I thought that was really powerful. And I also think, you know, the team that I was working with, they were going above and beyond like the owners, like everyone was going above and beyond to like do what they could for their own city and their own, you know, like for this education and how the, it really should start in the schools and educating and, you know, creating that, you know, creating that knowledge base. So this could translate into something, you know, more power, more, um, more impactful going forward. So I think that that was, 
that was really cool to see. There was a lot of meetings, a lot of discussions on it as we were playing. So it was, it was, it was good. Yeah, a, a big thank That's you. An open dialogue. Yeah, and for you for that, like that really, it was nice to be on the outside and actually see something tangible come out. And 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 I'm not saying that it's done. I'm not saying no. that the needle has moved anywhere near where the needle needs to move, but the needle did move in that moment. And again, thank you to the NBA and everyone who was there and yourself and everything like that. So to shift gears just a little bit, um, how do you increase performance while injured? We get asked this a lot. Um, and, and I think the, the binary is like, oh, I'm hurt. I can't go to the gym. It's like, whoever said that? And, and actually, I can say it. Like, maybe maybe it's the internet. Maybe it's um, a medical doctor that, that perhaps didn't have the appropriate referral or, or had had bad experiences in the past. Like, I don't kind of mm-hmm. ever blame anyone for when they do something I don't like. I just kind of look for a reason for it and then yeah. try and help. So it doesn't happen anymore in the future. So how, how do you how do you kind of increase that performance while injured? So, well, the one thing I think when people do sort of shut somebody down, it's possibly just a little, it's a lack of knowledge in that field or they, you know, like you just want to shut them down to protect them. But to be honest, what you're, you know, that, that should, you know, there's so many dimensions of what you can do for a player, especially a professional athlete that has to go back out there the next day. Um, but just for other people, when you shut someone down, you're really like sort of bringing them into just a harness and you're not really allowing them to heal in like more of an accelerated way, in my opinion. So one of the things is, you know, Tim Gabbitt says about being like a robust athlete. So you have to periodize and load manage in appropriate way. Well, that helps like support athletes, you know, when they do get injured, can they, or if, you know, if there's an injury, this is not a injury that takes them fully out of the game, but certainly like a twisted this or a tweak that um, something that we can pop, we can manage. Um, and the only way to really manage that is to know that if they go back out there and have to handle the stresses, that body and that region of injury can adapt to the stresses and be able to handle it so it doesn't get re-injured, right? We don't want everyone, someone going out there that could possibly get re-injured or have some long-term issue. Like that's never going to, that's not something that we would do. But if it's a way that we can handle the forces to that are applied on that region and we can make sure that that region is secure and safe enough to be able to go out there without a re-injury, then we do that. And we do that by a couple, you know, a couple things. And that's really about their training before and how strong they are before, um, you know, up until the event, but also just micromanaging it within that day, that, that hour, whatever it is, the pregame. And that's really about um, creating like, the best support around it. So what other areas could influence that region and how you can strengthen and support those areas. And, you know, if there's something that might be like a little bit, if it's a ankle, then, you know, is the hip, you know, activated and strong and is there enough mobility in the rest of the pelvis to be able to handle the jumping and the functions there, then being able to really use and look at the skills and the mechanics that they need to fine tune to be able to, support them in play and then it's just everything else it's like who are they playing up against like is the team 
the, what the team is like. Is the game going to be fast paced? Is there going to be a lot of in and out? Can we make sure that we can manage the load appropriately and on the floor enough for this guy to be able to stay in the game but not load too much? Um, if, you know, who's he competing up against? Who's he battling? Who's going to be defending him? How that's going to all work out? So there's all these different things that you have to take in play and all those variables to say, this is how much time should be managed for the player. This is how much um, the area can handle. This is the pregame work that we're going to be able to do to be able to handle that stress. This is the postgame work we're going to absolutely have to do. This is the recovery in between and the conditioning we need in between to just keep them ready to rock. And to ask, this feeds into that, but like, this is an aura ring. We discussed this a little bit. We talk about this probably like every third webcast. Sorry to bore anyone who's a constant subscriber, pretty much just my mom. So either way, this thing <laughs> tells you how well you've recovered. It metrics, one of the metrics it gives you is HRV. That's heart rate variability. Simple, quick line on HRV. You would think that a well-rested, well-recovered individual would have a very consistent heart rate and it's actually quite the ob the opposite. You want your heart rate to be constantly adapting, be very variable. So someone walks in, the heart rate goes up. You realize it's not a threat, it goes right back down. There's a loud noise, it goes up, not a threat, comes back down. That's what a healthy and recovered nervous system looks like. And does that ever, and I know because you, it was, because every time, okay, so when Prince Hen Harry, who's the prince? I don't know, whatever. The one, you know, started wearing this aura ring, suddenly none of my patients could get it. Then they could get it. And then the NBA decided they were doing it and no one could get it again. <laughs> Yay, great. So yeah. Yeah. they end up using, and for anyone who wasn't reading the news that I was, probably no one, um, the, everyone in the NBA, I believe, was offered one of these. Was that incorporated into that big um you you know that was a that's a multi-dimensional almost schematic that i'm picturing in my mind was that factored into it oh i love that that's the way you're thinking that's why you're so brilliant you always think like this so you know it wasn't i have to tell i'll tell you the honest truth so it was factored into it somewhat but the mm -hmm. metrics really were you know metrics to some people are invasive. Mm -hmm. So there might not have been, and this is just sort of a general um, across the board, like mm -hmm. not just with professional athletes because I don't want to single them out, but you know, having metrics on you is telling a story that you may or may not want to have told. Agreed. So not everybody would share those metrics to be able to have us create like a pro you know create like a little bit more of a different program now if this was at home and like they have great sports science guys really working with them on their sleep and their eating and we have chefs and all these things that like really could help with those metrics and support them and of course we did that while we were in the bubble but there would be more conversations about that just because it wasn't as like of um you know we already felt like we were being watched a lot Right. Mm -hmm. Like we had a connexon that was attached to us that if we got too close to someone, if we were too close to someone in six feet away, the thing would blink. We had a band that like tr watched our every step and we couldn't go different places around campus without that band turning a certain color. We had so there was already like a lot of metrics kind of. Oh, had us. We had a 
you know, so, so I think um, at that point we were living with the guys. So we knew if these mm -hmm. guys were tired, we knew if they had, so we had subjective and sort of observational data mm -hmm. that we used to understand where these guys, where their head was at, if they were like, you know, talking to their kids on FaceTime and they were getting a little sad because they were missing their family. Like mm -hmm. we had those metrics because they were right in front of our face. So we didn't need an aura ring to be able to derive to some conclusions of where they were in their sort of overall well-being. Um, not, you don't usually live with the, you know, like my, the player's not down the hall from you usually for, you know, extended period yeah. time in a hotel for a couple of days. Yes. But you don't spend 48 days with these guys. Right. So you don't go eat with them every single meal. Like there was a lot of things we did with them that we could do these check-ins that I think gave us way more information than the aura ring could give us. However, that aura ring is a great piece of information that people could really use as a metric system to see where they are in their, especially for off season, see how they like can kind of, excuse me, off season and in season and how they're going to really be able to balance their loading and their stresses in their daily life. Right. And so I think it would have been super cool if we did do more of the aura stuff, but again, we had live data all day. Right. And, and that's also interesting is another one of your, the NBA's partners, is headspace so this is way pre-covid that has nothing like i mean this has nothing at all to do with covid um and it's kind of funny for someone who I, I, we recommend headspace a lot it's it's really interesting so if you do the nba like packs sincere talk they're the exact same packs as for everyone else like there there isn't like the anxiety for nba mm -hmm. i thought it was gonna be like you have a big game and it's all and whatever the yeah. same thing it's no they just pretty much were like boop and maybe this has changed since then but the, i i was like i'm curious like i'm not thinking i'm an mbm I'm just like curious like boom let's see what this is and i'm like this is the exact the same. same thing but in headspace is almost defense not that they need my defense by any means but that is the approach to meditation like if you pick up the happiness and you pick up the, the the anxiety and you pick up the restlessness there's actually not a big difference between most of them because yeah. so much of it is one trying not to have resistance with your emotions it doesn't matter what emotion is it's just trying to realize that fueling the flame can be done by resisting that emotion and just then learning how to focus and learning how to visualize. And I think it has to do with the amygdala in particular, like the amygdala is, is obviously, um, and for anyone, the amygdala is just a thing that we had to learn exists in the brain. Like it's just a really <laughs> weird name, but it is responsible for fight or flight, but it's also right. incorporated in visualization and visualization and dreaming. So visualization, like almost like your visualization hardware and your dreaming hardware are pretty similar, not exactly the same, but pretty similar. And the amygdala is part of that. And the amygdala mm -hmm. is almost, it, it is pretty much like that, like who, what, huh, what voice that's in your head. And the way I kind of almost like think about it is it, it's almost like if you took your um, like refrigerator and you took like the cooling unit and then you repurpose it as like an air conditioner, like now it's, <laughs> it's the same thing. It's just doing something different. It's almost like you've repurposed it and changed it. So either way, long story short, a lot of the things as far as like the ability to have the patience to let emotions play themselves out 
without intervening and letting them be acknowledged and then come back to earth. Cause everything, like we talked about before, is like you go to, and you want a sandwich and they're out of whatever. That's gonna be a short arc. You don't have to be all that patient to wait that thing out, but real life has <laughs> a longer arc and giving the mind the conditions to let that arc play out doesn't make a difference whether it's sadness or whether it's anxiety or whatever, restlessness, frustration, grief, whatever it is, it's kind of the same approach. So I thought, I just thought that that was interesting. But again, kudos to the NBA for being way up and ahead. I, you know, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that they really, they try very, they, they really try to be in that space with the guys and trying to really like give them um, an avenue for being open and, and feeling that support and feeling like they can like, you know, get what they need. I think, I think the thing that happens with um, the anxiety and the feelings that they have and those kind of things, you know, they're no, they're no different than like how you, how you, they, they register the same kind of feelings. And like you said, the patience of being able to wait that out and those kind of things. So, that I think that the NBA has done a good job of trying to be able to like be ahead of it and support them in that way um, is is very impressive. Um, I think that the teams have adapted to that, adopted that as well, and been very um, helpful. Sorry, <laughs> very was... just a little ear thing. Um, in trying to support the overall health of the athlete, and the MBPA has done a great job too. They're really a big advocate for their mental and well-being. Yeah, I always thought that it was just, again, like NBA ahead of the curve and just kudos and awesome. But again, funny because the NBA portion of Heads have it. If you download Headspace and are like, I just want to see what exact same. It's not like you're standing on a free throw line. And you're nervous because again, like your anxiety, my anxiety, someone else's, regardless of what it is, it's kind of the same thing. And it's a it very manifest rare, the same, you know. Yeah, it's a huge shared human experience. Like nobody yeah. doesn't have anxiety. So yeah. why wouldn't we just try and like just right. teach almost like catch all approaches as we were talking about? So it made sense, but I was a little like, oh, okay, cool. So and then we got these meditation packets that they came oh. and like it was so like all these meditation packets came to our team room and it was like a stress ball and like a sand, you know, it was like all the things that you would be like, Oh, that's so like, it's the same, you know, it's just, yeah. it, it, you know, it was like a coloring book. I mean, it was just these nice things that you could let your mind drift and like, feel like you could, um, you know, use it as a tool, but it was just funny because they loved, they were giving them out all over the place and it was yeah. very nice. And it's nice, again, like a, a conversation I was having recently is like, it doesn't like, y y that was a very novel situation that you were in. No matter what, like no one's gonna feel comfortable in the beginning of that situation. I don't care who you are, it's different. So it's nice that they were aware of that. And- Oh yeah, they had therapists. Guys. Yeah. Totally, they had, we had, um like every time we had to check in. So we had to do our temperature, our pulse ox. We had to answer all these questions. And at the end, they would say, do you want to speak to someone about yeah. your 
feelings or whatever, you know, and, you know, you would click yes or no. And if it, you clicked yes, then you would get, I think then you would get like, um, like another pop-up that would say somebody will be contacting you or something. So yeah. it was a very, um, and even the teams like had someone that would call you and just like kind of check in on you. Cause it was, it was a very intense experience the entire time. Like it never, it, it, it got easier in some ways and harder in other ways. So it was really an emotional roller coaster for everybody at different times. Yeah, well, and again, like thank thank you to the NBA's like the modern day gladiators taking the time to worry about mental health. It, it just goes to show like everyone, like no one doesn't get touched by this. So thanks for bringing light to that, especially on this yeah. webcast and, and talking about it. So yeah. how do you view PTs in the sports medicine profession? So I think PTs in the sports medicine profession have really made waves. I really do. Our chief medical officer was actually the phys a physical therapist. Ooh. So like that was huge for me. Like, you know, your chief medical officer is usually an orthopedic surgeon. It's somebody that you, and he was a, um, he was a physical therapy clinician. And, um, and I think that obviously we had doctors and everything else, but I, you know, I think that that shows where the physical therapy profession is gone, I think, and is keeps going. Um, I think our skill set from performance to rehab has really gained a lot. Um, you know, now we sort of work in the performance sector and we work in the rehab sector. It's not just like a divided line. Um, I think that having, you know, the advancement of the doctorate in the in the profession has hired this, you know, it does. It, it is increased like the standard and the expectation that um, you know. I think the research and the evidence base that we have created and cultivated over the years has really shown to be um, has really enhanced our credibility in all fields of medicine. And you know, I think that to be a successful clinician, you need that skill set and you need the knowledge. And I think we've really amped that. I think to be a great therapist mm -hmm. really comes from character. So mm -hmm. there's like a piece to that, that, you know, a physical therapist can have the skill set and the knowledge. And I think that's really, really important, but to be able to be a very good therapist is has, you know, you need compassion, mm -hmm. you need empathy and you need a little bit of that sixth sense. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Well, of you course, have it. yeah. And yeah, and I know that you have it. And I know that our patients can sense when you have that sixth sense or not, because it's just a little bit of a deeper, um, just like a deeper, you just feel connected to that person just a little bit more and you really can hear what they need and what they are looking for. Yes, there's an ankle that's tweaked. Yes, there's this that's happening. But what else is really happening to them in that moment or in that stage that they are experiencing because of the injury and how that really penetrates their life? If you can influence that, then that's really oh, yeah. part of the therapy. And yeah. I think that that's something that's really, you know, so for guys that have to put it all out on the line every day on a court, that's one way that you really need to have that sixth sense to connect with them. But for a person that, you know, can't pick up the grandchild, 
because yeah. they're, you know, they're in so much pain or they can't connect with their family or they can't work at their job. Like all those things are so impactful on that person that um, I think physical therapists in the sports medicine world and beyond really have to have that um, sixth sense to really penetrate to a much more incredible level. Yeah, and I think that it's, uh, my mind goes two ways. One is when people ask me what job prepared me best to be a physical therapist, I was a bartender in grad school. And that is the best way to prepare for two things. One, exactly what you're saying is like, you you tend to be able to read people more quickly and have a little bit higher emotional intelligence or whatever you want to call it. The other is in a busy clinic, which is where I started out. I mean, now we're one-on-one for an hour, but I started out at a place that was 20 minutes, blocks, encouraged to double book. I mean, in that moment, you have to realize who needs your attention and what they need very quickly. And it's a good skill to develop in a bar in a college town and then put to use in <laughs> I'm and with like you. Yeah. hit the ground running. The, the other thing, and it's Brett Bartholomew's book, um, Conscious Coaching is something that comes to mind. And it, it was interesting. I stopped using the word buy-in because it felt salesy and a little yeah. trashy. And he gave that word back to me, which was really nice, or that phrase back to me, because he said, it's just trust. It all boils down to trust. And how quickly can you get this person to trust you? And I'll say not even get this person, but to earn their trust. And the way that you can earn it, one of the ways, and everyone has their own way to do this, but I think by really one attempting to take one minute to just step back and let them yeah. tell their story. It's like yeah. the, the newest research I think came out. I think this is for doctors, maybe it's for PTs, but wouldn't surprise me it's for both is that the average patient gets 12 seconds to tell what's going on with their injury. Come on. Like we're Amazing. better than that. Yeah. Yep. It's nuts. It's nuts. It's nuts. And that's what I think. That's how I started this whole thing. I had a physical therapist that, you know, never really heard what I was saying. She was like, okay, you're fine. Go do this, do this, this, this. And, you know, I, 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 I couldn't, you know, I was working through the pain. I couldn't sleep at night because I was in so much pain. I couldn't go to school. Like there were so many things that happened to my life from just not being able to use my shoulder appropriately. And this physical therapist just kept on saying, you're fine, you know, never really grabbed on. And I said to myself, literally then I was 15, and I was like, no one is ever going to feel this way. What I'm going to take, I'm going to listen. I'm just going to listen. And listening has just, you just get everything you need. And you just have to take the time to just take it in. And you're right. Buy-in has always been a little salesy for me too. That's funny you said that. Yeah. But it really is that trust piece. And I think that that's like, you know, I came into the bubble I was a consultant. Like I didn't work for the team. These guys didn't really know me. I mean, they see me around because I was always around for the five years, but I was, you know, I was, I wasn't part of their team. I, I, I you know, I didn't see them every day. They had to like, I mean, it, they had to instantly trust me and I had to instantly like be right there in the moment with them, consistently speaking to them at this level where I could say, okay, I hear you. Like, this is what's going on, you know? And the, you know, and I would say, I turned from like people being like, who is this person that's here? And then mm. to like, you know, they were calling me like Miss Magic at the end. Cause it was just like, you know, like our like rapport that. just, you know, and it just like, it just happened that way. But it was a, it was intense to get that to happen 
quickly because you know we, we i needed to be there for them yeah so, you didn't have a lot of time to like no. to slow play it. but but i, I no. you know what like again I, I think that one of the other ways and it's something that when we teach personal trainers i talk to them a lot about because a, a lot of personal trainers we we would teach at equinox pretty frequently before all this and one of the right. things is there are a lot of people at Equinox are career shifting. Like they went from finance to Equinox yeah. or they went from um, fashion to Equinox. And, and I think that people, especially in New York City, and I'm not putting down anywhere else. It's just I, I, we, I did rotations in Texas and in California. I've worked other places, even Connecticut, and it's a little bit different animal. But they want to know as quickly as possible whether you take your job as seriously as they take their job. They could be in Such a restaurant owner, they could be anything else, but in that moment, and you're dealing with people who take their job very seriously, in that moment, they they, they want to know in the first X amount of minutes, whether you take your job as seriously as they take their job. And whatever authentic version of yourself that you can present that makes sure that they understand that, that because I know that you do, but I'm sure that you, some way made sure that that they knew that you did and and that's like i think one of the underlying things that doesn't really get talked about a lot again we talked about dpt programs like business nah, maybe you're learning like whatever you're yeah. learning in in these right. programs i i i do i'm glad that there are resources i guess like this like this webcast where younger physical therapists can really learn about the intangible. You need to know the rock solid foundation. You need to know your anatomy and your phys and everything that goes on to it. But maybe the difference between a career that ends up feeling really good at the end of the day and one that still feels like it's grinding might be somewhere in this conversation that we're having. I couldn't have said it better. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's exactly right. And so, that's what I say to my team all the time. 100%. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it's something, again, from bartending, I think that like took me through. It's like you learn these things like that. Let me hit the ground. And then I can almost be a little more observing. And you and I both practice in similar fashion is the fact that I don't have four patients an hour right. anymore. And I'm not putting down and I almost feel like no. I'm not putting down anyone who works in that sort of setting. And And I wouldn't even really put down anyone who has that because I I know why it's happening. Like I see what happens with reimbursement. I know how hard the insurance company is and I know where malpractice is and I know what rent is in New York. Like I'm not putting anyone down. I'm just saying, I, I think that you and I have a little bit of an easier time being aware of the intangibles perhaps than the, than the average person. So. I, I agree. I think that, that I think it just matters. And I think you're so spot on about the authenticity. I think that that is just really and taking your job really seriously. Like you just, you know, that's something that we've always sort of, you know, it's so funny because I every time I um, hire someone, I always ask them and I always want to know if they're in the service industry. Yeah. before like a waiter or a bartender i was a bartender for a long time too I, that's how i like got through college and i like i think that that's such a hearty job that like will really like really prepare you for what we have to do in our field oh yeah a hundred percent can i take care of my body like an nba all-star one million percent Oh, nice. Yay. Under, okay, but you have to follow a couple guidelines. So, I'm yes, old. you can take care of your body like an NBA All-Star if you, one, 
you put yourself first some of the time, right? Mm -hmm. So in our lives, in our work, in our families and everything else, if you put yourself first some of the time and allocate time for yourself and put that into a routine and a schedule, mm -hmm. then you will provide the time to be able to take care of yourself. So no, do you have all day to train like an NBA all-star? Do you have all, you know, people there 24 seven to take care of you? Probably not. I mean, maybe you do good for you, but that's probably not the way that it's going to be. But if you set a time for yourself and advocate for yourself, then you can treat yourself yeah. like an NBA all-star. And then I think the other most important thing is a support system. If you have a support system that gets you, that listens to you, that will grind for you in a way that like make sure that they are supporting you and listening that will make a big impact so if you if you just have a couple people that will be you know a physical therapist and a strength and conditioning coach or some you know some in between that works for you applies instructor and an acupuncturist whatever it is but there's a team and you have that support and that team communicates, then you definitely can take care of yourself the way that you need it to need to do. And with that, that team needs to be a checks and balance for you as well. So like there's reevaluations within your year, they're looking at you um, and reevaluating because bodies change, lives change, tasks change, environments change. So if you're just like, you get a little, this team like is your checks and balance, evaluating your body mechanics, looking at your movement patterns, making sure that, you know, what you're doing in your running program is matching what you're doing in your strength program, how that matches who you are as an individual, if you have the right footwear, like all those kind of things. If you just have the team, a physical therapist, it could be, you know, one part of the team, but if you have that team to be able to like, really like, look at what you need, you, the organism need, then the tasks you perform in the environment you perform them in will, you'll be super successful. And, like and yeah. And your, your team, you have more, um, under your roof, obviously. And let's, let's just go, let's just say, I asked you this question, January 12th. So <laughs> over at flex, what exactly, what does your team consist of? So over at flex, we have a, um, we have physical therapists um, that um, have each one of the physical therapists has another skill set. Like they might have a strength and conditioning background, or they might be an athletic trainer, or they have just another variation of a skill set that sort of made their wealth of knowledge mm -hmm. um, is a little broader. And and then they broader, but then they sort of specialize. They have like a little niche, right? Um, so the physical therapists, and then we have strength and conditioning coaches to, and coaches, so they can really coach people into better health programs and things like that. And then we have Pilates, um, uh, oh, yeah, um, the, the, um, one of your Pilates, um, Mar Lisa Marie, Lisa, yeah. oh, she's a, she's a rock star. I, I love her on Instagram. She's global one health. I think she is Global Health, yeah. all the love right now. She's so good. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's so good. She, kettlebells. What an awesome combination and a lovely human. I talked to her at your course too. Yeah. 
a lovely human and just had and just so if you want to talk about someone that is dedicated to their craft to Mm -hmm. the fullest lisa is dedicated to her craft to the fullest and she practices what she preaches she will she will always be in your corner supporting you she's an unbelievable person and an incredible professional um and we're so honored to be able to work with her um so yeah super cool and she totally gets it she gets mechanics she gets like you know she gets lifting and olympic lifting and kettlebells and pilates she you know she what our patients want to do she can support them and in and a lot of fashions and it's really it's really cool uh and then we just have like some mind body stuff so we have we we um contract out a little bit of um well, we have acupuncture, massage, Reiki, like mm-hmm. those things we always try to balance in. Um, yeah. Certain times, some we don't, we either house those in or we ha- we yeah. refer out, but it's always sort of an integrated process. And we really try to work with everybody to um, create like that team approach. So even if it's somebody that is not in-house with us, we definitely cr- try to create like a good um, communication for- form for them and we're able to like really work with everybody so that person feels like they really have like a sports medicine team around them. Yeah, and how's, you know, we kind of touched on in the beginning, but right now you're primarily, I mean, you're still open on, in Midtown, right? Just tell yeah. us a little bit about that. And, and we'll get into all the like, where people can find you, but this is more almost like personal <laughs> okay. life. Like, yeah, no, no, no. We both it know to be said. a lot going on right now. Um, t- yeah. Kind of tell us, now, so that was my quote unquote, I asked you that on January 12th, what'd you have? So right, right now, what has that evolved into? Um, so, right, I mean, if you don't, you know, this is really this time as an owner, you've never known the statement, if you don't adapt or you'll die, like better, right? Like you're just, you have to just keep adapting and pivoting with the, with the time. And, you know, being an owner of a physical therapy health wellness facility is one thing being a being an owner of a health facility in midtown manhattan on the 23rd floor is slightly a different thing right now because you know just manhattan's just a little bit different the vibe is very different so um we are doing a lot of telehealth because that's where we're going to support our patients and really be there for them we're doing, you know, we're working um, with, we're going to the Hamptons four days a week, um, being in the Hamptons and sharing our time in the Hamptons as well as in the city, because, you know, we're just trying to support where our patients are located, home visits. I mean, we are doing what we need to do to just be there for our patients in their comfort zone. Because, yeah. you know, the most important thing is that people need to feel comfortable and trust. Um, you know, what's really cool for me, I think, is that because we've had we've established trust and loyalty over the years with our patients, they know that we're gonna make sure that they have the safest place to yeah. work. And there and we're always going to be like following every policy and procedure to keep them safe. And you know, we've been, you know, physical therapists, we've been keeping people safe forever. Like yeah. we've always done everything, the wash the hands, the change the room, the clean the thing, clean the sheets, the wipe the, you know, wipe everything down. There has never been a time that we haven't done it. Now it's just, we have to publicize it so people feel comfortable about that we're doing it. But it's been 
you know, but I think people, um, when they come to our space, they feel very comfortable. Our space is very, you know, our space is big. It's, it's a large space. So you, you're never really around another person. It just feel, you know, so we've been, we've been working on scheduling and different ways to navigate the environment. So everyone feels comfortable. So it's just been a lot of adjustments. Um, and that's basically how we've been sort of living. Yeah, and that's working. I, I'm sure that you check this box as I almost like, I almost phrase it this way is if someone of my patients were to end up getting COVID, I want at the absolute bottom of their list for it to be like, maybe I got it at physical therapy. So that's, I feel totally. like, you know, and that led me like, and, and this one, again, yeah. I just do it because I talked to my buddy and I'm not, I'm not advocating for this for everyone by any means. Um, but like I talked to my buddy who's a professor at Seton Hall and was like, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing this way. Cause I treat outside actually as much as possible. You don't necessarily have that option. I apologize. You can come down and hang out on the corner with me. You can also come to Queens. I'm in Flushing Meadows on Wednesday. My favorite, <laughs> favorite, favorite day ever. It's amazing. But oh my God, I have to, yeah. Yeah, it's so great. I mean, it's, and like, even this is so sketchy, but like when it rains, there's a Van Wick overpass that we work under that's like total, like, oh, there's some things have happened there. There's no doubt in my mind. We're like, Mom, whatever. <laughs> now some healing's going to occur. Great. And so either way, I'm treating outside all that N95, KN95 over it. I have like, this hospital grade, like it literally said, like, if someone, uh, if the blood of someone with HIV ends up being, it was like, Lee, this, whatever, it's like some serious, serious cleaner stuff. Put my dad on that. I was like, hey, dad, let's put your PhD to good use. Find me the best cleaner. You're awesome. Thank you for being my support system along with my mom and my wife and my brother and everyone else. So, Aww, so nice. Yeah, great, great. When you yeah. said to them, like, I can't not give shout outs for everyone and our amazing <laughs> staff, like the people, the people that I, that we contracted, like amazing. We're so lucky. Like everyone's great. So with all that being said though, it's like the one thing that he was like is you might want to work in some sort of continuity of testing. And it's very hard because tests aren't very rapid at this moment in time. It seems yeah. like something that is becoming more popular. But every Tuesday yeah. on my way in, I go get poked in my brain and I can tell everyone like, hey, just so you know, like there's no chance you're getting COVID today, right now, in this moment. <laughs> so that is like a little bit of like a peace of mind. But again, yeah. I think the real battle that we're because this is like, I'm not saying it's fiction, but it's like the story that goes on in our mind and the story that's actually happening aren't always the exact same thing. And the story that you want in that person's mind is to be when they're like, where did I get this? Not even half on that list. And I'm sure that you're yeah. checking off that box every single time. Yeah, no, you're right. But that's like, I'm so confident that I'm not going to be the one that is on that list. Like it, there's no, I mean, the, the, what we have done to be able to really, work that in. I've been tested 68 times. Whoa, your nose. Times. Poor yeah. nose. If you had a uh, nose like me, it would be fine. But you, you got a, you got a nice <laughs> nose. Nice little nose. I get no, a it's, poor it's, nose. It's, what? That, your poor nose. Keep I on know, getting, man. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, my, it's been crazy. The, the person that gives me the test now, because we have, we get these tests, um, 
every week and that I like talk while they're doing it. They're like, how are you talking while you're yeah. doing it? I'm like, do you understand how many times you've done this test? Yeah. And, and I, you know, and then you get the saliva test and you get that and you get like, so you get a strep culture every day and oh. then you get this, then you get the nose thing and you're just like, your brain feels like it's, but um, <laughs> it's, um, there's a place that we can get it pretty rapidly. So it's just been, but it's just crucial to just keep doing it with our team because it just, it just gives it one more, you talk about that trust. It's just another piece of mind, you know, it gives people peace of mind and you just want to keep facilitating trust. And yeah. if that's the way we have to do it, that's just, I mean, and it makes, it's, we're in healthcare. It makes sense. We have to do right. it. Uh, and I completely agree. And oh, not to, so on 51st street um, is medical offices of Manhattan. They, so right now they have the antigen testing, which you could say like has its pros and cons as with anything, but they're getting a rapid PCR in office in the next week. So Carly is the PA over there. She's phenomenal. Medical offices of Manhattan on 51st Street. I believe it's 211 51st Street. Um, check them out. Anyone who's a clinician, anyone period. Um, Cause right. it's so hard. The, the, when I went to CDMD, it was 12 day turnaround. That means I've yeah. killed everyone. So that's not really all that helpful. Yeah. So no. yeah, no. what do you do? So yeah, medical office in Manhattan. So can right, you great. tell us as, a, as kind of a continuation, I'm gonna open this up right now to questions. We already have one in the opened up, but anyone else who has any questions for either of us, just drop them in the chat section right now. But Kim, can you just tell everyone where they can find you as far as like the website, your location, even like newsletter, I know I've seen some come out with that, yeah. Sure, um, so our website is www.phlexnyc.com. So it's flexnyc.com. You can get to um, our Instagram handle through that. You can, um, flexnyc is our Instagram. Um, we are located, all over right now, but we're um, our brick and borders on 370 Lexington on corner of 41st Street. Mm -hmm. And we're also, you know, we're, we're um, available. We're just doing everything that we can to support people. And that could be again, virtually or um, in, in the home or and in our office. So um, that's where we are. You can come check us out. That's awesome. Yeah, def definitely. <laughs> Um, they, they, they really are great. And it, again, it's like, it's just nice. It, it, almost. It, this is exactly what it is. I felt like when we first talked again, it was that really what it was that made me want to talk to you was I felt like you took your job as seriously as I take my job and yeah. I, now to come full circle with everything we've been yeah. talking about. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we said, yeah, that's why we wake up every morning, right? Yeah, just exactly. So, so I'm yeah. you coming from Douglas. So my guess is that the experience made the NBA much more aware of mental health issues, something that they were already in the lead with. Do you think that's going to make a difference with the players more understanding of the relationship between mental and physical? And Douglas, so Douglas asked this early. Douglas, you were like, foreshadowing our whole um a lot of our little deep dive tangents well done douglas so kim take that one i do i think that the nature of the entire experience for them and the way that the mba handled the um the whole 
everything from from having the guys go into the bubble to supporting them while they're there to all these things to being able to have open conversations to be able having access to um mental health um either support or just have being able to have open conversations and dialogue i think that yes i think that it's going to really create a better dynamic between the mental and the physical uh, health for athlete, for the players. Um, I think that they're going to feel a little bit more comfortable being able to kind of expand their vulnerability realm in that way. Um, I, I think that they're really in tune to how they feel with their play, with their recovery, with themselves, with their, you know, just with the whole thing. I think that they have to be in tune because, um, of just how public, the, you know, how much the public is looking at them and things like that. And I think that they really, but yeah, I do. I, I, I think that it's going to really um, be expanded upon for sure with the players. Yeah, I hope that they, you again, I, I mean, it would be nice to have other people that are that are leading other sports and just other organizations. Right now it is nice that someone is leading in a direction that feels like the right direction. So our next right. question, comes from Julie. The NBA has so many resources. I work for, with professional dancers, not as much money, agreed. So what resources do you think were the most valuable, i.e. treatments, tracking data, working with trainers, mental health, recovery modalities, et cetera, because obviously having a trusted person that be, besides having a trusted person that you obviously are. So out of the things, what did you feel was most valuable for if someone didn't have as much money but was still working with very high level athletes, what of the things that were done while you were in that bubble do you think were best bang for your buck? Cool. So that's a tough one because there this was a very expensive project that they yeah. embarked on. And the most effective utilization of resources was the technology that they used and worked with to keep people safe and support people. And, but I think that that might be in a very expensive piece of it because of just, right. But I think there is ways to use technology and be able to craft. Um, I think there's ways to use the technology to craft some support for others um, and being part of being part of a, a larger organization like the NBA, it's sort of hard to divide out what resources could be really tracked in a way that are um, a little bit less on the expense side, and but still as effective because they just kind of threw everything into this and try to really create yeah. the best platform for success. Um, I do think it is having the right people around them and supporting them. And I think that that just comes from um, having a very strong organization to begin with, right? So I'm sure that you have a very strong organization and being able to, you know, provide the right people and the support, I think is, you know, is a very, it's very valuable. Um, but their their technology and their use of their tech, their data is remarkable. Next level. And what do you think? And almost I'll ask a similar question in a different way. So let's say as far as like, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but let's just assume that there were more treatments per person occurring in a week than there would be in a regular season. So we'll take increased treatment, meaning like 
even if you didn't think you needed it, maybe you just kind of like went in it and got some. Then mm -hmm. tracking data, which obviously I, some, some do, some don't. But as far as I'm assuming that's almost like checking the strain, if you will, just use a, a single catch all word, working with more trainers and then the mental health and recovery side. What do you think if, if, if we took all those and it almost felt like they just pushed all those to the max, what's your best guess out of all of those? What two do you think will still be around next season that'll be still pushed to the max? Hmm. Tough one. Yeah, no, these are great questions. Um, I, I, I honestly think that the so the technology, the treatments, the care. I think they're really going to see that the the care and the treatments were beneficial in the way that it was outlined and laid out. So I think that they're going to, you know try to really push that further along in the next season. I think that they'll have, um, you know, I think that they're really gonna try to work that in. I think also the technology, they're gonna push to the max. They're yeah. just gonna make, they're just gonna continue. And the the precautions, like everyone's still gonna get, probably get tested. Like they're gonna just do so much of the same, like the testing and just creating like the best environment for people to stay safe and healthy. Yeah. So I think it's just gonna be, that's, yeah, that's, that's how they're going to go on. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised when you were talking in the beginning about the story. I wouldn't be surprised if they just kind of see that actually if 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 the average amount of treatments per player per week was X and during the bubble it was actually Y and then this is the amount of injuries that we had, we got to at least try one season post-COVID right where we keep it at Y and, and see what happens. Yeah. So it's really right. And it's also the, you know, I, I think that they'll probably minimize travel a little bit. And I think that's going to really help with the, the care that people get. And I think, um, you know, and I think the mental health aspect is going to be in there for all of us next year. You know, like, I just think that that's going to be a, a key piece too. So I think that you're right. I think it's going to be, um, I think the treatments is going to be the super stronger point. And then, um, and being able to show that there was some some real big relationship to the frequency to and to the um, non injuries. Yeah, and I'm sure there's some spreadsheet somewhere that shows the amount of money difference as far yeah. as well. And then they're going to be like Yahtzee. That's where we go. <laughs> that may not maybe not for the right reasons, but it's oh. probably going to happen. Kim, do you right. have any closing words? Anything you want to just kind of like tie it all together? With, not to put you on the spot, but anything that that you wanted to touch on, go for it. And then I think. This was great. So. This was great. Yeah. I just loved being Same. with someone so like-minded and just so authentic and genuine. And I just really appreciated being here. Thank you. I think that being part of this experience, um, being on like a sole mission to support others is what I like to do all day. And I get up, that's why I get up in the morning to, you know, take care of others and the opportunity to do this in such a very novel and interesting way was something that I will never ever forget. And I find it fascinating being in the presence of such such excellence. You know, that was such an crazy piece that these were just elite supreme beings all around you all day. You almost like, you know, it just was so intense that it was very inspiring. Like you just wanted to be better because they were so incredible at their craft. So you just always wanted to be better at your craft. And I, and that really, um, you know, I've always felt that way, but it just spoke to me and it, it was, um, it was a really, 
it was a truly incredible experience. And I love the fact that I can take all that and bring it to my team and my office and keep on really building great, um, great platforms for success. That's awesome. Well, thank you for bringing all of that to us tonight. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Who is here. Kim, thank you for being inspiring everyone else. Good job on being part of our movement towards movement. And we'll see you next week. Take it easy. Thanks. Thank you.